Let's do it tonight. Let's worship Him because of who He is. Let's praise Him because of who He is. Hallelujah. He is everything we need. He's everything we need. Praise God. Amen. Moses said, Who shall I say sent me? He said, Just tell them I am. Now, we were taught in English class that the verb to be, which in the first person is am, is a linking verb that requires an object. I am something. But for God, when He said, I am, that said it all. Because it doesn't matter what you need, He is. Healer, deliverer, provider, come on somebody, protector. Deliverer, He is. He is. Amen. Praise God. And the apostle said that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Just um, want to remind you, of course, Tuesday night prayer, 7 o'clock, Thursday night midweek service, and back again Sunday morning and Sunday night. Praise God. We uh, apostolic preachers have been laughed at because we get up on Sunday night and announce the midweek service. Um, But this is really true. If I don't announce it, I literally have people ask, are we having service? So don't blame me. Praise God. I just want to make sure everybody knows, yes, we're having service. Um, Thank God I understand it's supposed to warm up a little bit. A little bit. I'm ready. I'm ready. I uh, I know the Bible really does say the devil is the prince and power of the air. And uh, he knew that we were fasting. And when you fast, you don't take in calories. Calories are units of heat. And so when you fast, you are naturally colder anyhow. And so the devil just turned on the deep freeze while we were in the midst of our fast. Somebody said, oh, I don't think the devil did all that. Well, whether he did or not, I'm going to blame him. You know, I, I was talking to somebody just recently. I said, you know, there's these people that just blame the devil for everything. Well, why not? What does it hurt? <laughs> I don't care if he did it or not. I won't blame him anyhow. Praise God. Well... Three verses of Scripture that I want to use as my text tonight. And um, they are, I think, pretty familiar verses of Scripture to all of us. Um, Exodus chapter 20. And then we're going to 1 Corinthians 
chapter 12, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Exodus chapter 20, and then the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14. Reading just one verse of scripture from each of those chapters. And um, I want you to pay attention to what the Bible says in these three verses. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus 20 and 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Well, when's the last time you heard an apostolic preacher preach from the Ten Commandments? I'm going to preach from the Ten Commandments tonight. Thou shalt not covet. Is that what the Bible says? That's still in your Bible. Thou shalt not covet. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12 and 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Chapter 14, verse 39, wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Now, I want you to get this title because I'm not one that is uh, want to use fancy terminologies. But I, I couldn't find a better word to express the concept. Tonight, with the Lord's help, I'm going to preach to you about the conundrum of contradictory commandments. The conundrum of contradictory commandments. Praise God. Amen. We're going to deal with this tonight. Hallelujah. Let's put our Bibles down, lift our voices, lift our hands, ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. I need the Lord's anointing on me, and I want the anointing of God to rest upon you. Let's pray together, everyone. Lord Jesus. God, that you would speak through me. God, to this people. I pray, oh God, tonight that you would anoint your servant, that you would give to me the wisdom to deliver what I feel upon my heart. Yea, Lord, what you spoke to me early in the hours of the morning today, I want to preach to this people, God. I want to deliver to this people tonight. Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus, to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost tonight. God, to direct this church out of the paths you have for us. Oh, I feel the touch of the Holy Ghost here tonight. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. I, I was awakened early, early this morning. Probably, uh, I don't even know, sometime around 5 o'clock. Uh, this morning that I was awakened with this thought. And um, 
I feel like God wants to talk to New Life Pentecostal Church tonight. Amen. The conundrum of contradictory commandments. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me just tell you tonight, for those who don't know, the word conundrum uh, simply means a paradoxical, insoluble, uh, or difficult problem. A conundrum is a situation that seems to have no solution. That's what a conundrum is. When you look at a situation that seems to uh, be contradictory or problematic to the point that there is no way to answer it, that is a conundrum. And uh, so by my title, what I am saying to you is that we have a difficult situation trying to rectify what seems to be two direct commandments which contradict one another. Amen. Praise God. Now, uh, in, in Exodus, we find the command given to Moses on Mount Sinai not to covet. And in the New Testament, we find Paul telling us to covet. We're going to talk about this here tonight. Let me just tell you that the word covet in the original Hebrew, uh, means to delight in, to desire, to lust after. And, and by the way, let me just head you off at the pass. Just in case somebody thinks the difference between these is the meaning of the words, that it's a different Greek word in the New Testament, doesn't really mean the same thing as the word in the Old Testament. Let me just tell you, the Hebrew word translated covet uh, means to delight in, to desire, to lust after. The, the word covet in the New Testament means to earnestly desire, to be envious of. It's the same thing. No difference in words. Amen. The word covet in English means to desire inordinately, without due regard for the rights of others. To wish for, especially to wish eagerly for. Amen. That's what the word covet means. It means to set your heart on something. To desire it strongly. Amen. To, to want it, hallelujah, with, with the depths of your being. That's what the word covet means. Praise God. Now, let's go back and look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Read it again, Brother Merriman, if you would. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is in thy, that is thy neighbor's. All right, now, now this is, amazingly, if you are reading in your Bible, and not just on the wall here, if you're reading in your Bible, you will see that this is the last of the Ten Commandments. This is number ten. This is the caboose. This is the end of the line. When God has given the list of commandments, number 10 finalizes all of them. It puts the issue to rest, the end. Amen. Now understand that what happens in verse 17, in this 10th commandment, it really is providing a protection against two of the other commandments. Let's look at verse 14, Exodus 20, verse 14. Thou shalt not commit thou adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What did he say in verse 17? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. All right, verse 15, which is the, uh, the eighth commandment. Verse, uh, uh, verse 14 was the seventh commandment. Verse 15 is the eighth commandment. Let's read it. Verse 15. 
Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. And so he talks about thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his ass. Anything that's thy neighbor's. What I'm telling you is he, he tells us, first of all, don't commit adultery. And he says, don't steal. And then he comes along and says, in fact, I not only don't want you to steal it or take it, I don't want you coveting it. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you'll obey number 10, you'll never have to worry about number 7 or number 8. The only reason people commit adultery is because they started coveting. The only reason people steal, Brother Merriman, is because they started coveting. If you don't covet it, you're not going to take it. If you don't covet it, you won't pursue it. But if you do covet it, you're going to do everything in your power to get it. You don't care what anybody thinks. You don't care what anybody says. You don't care what the ramifications are. Nobody's going to get in your way. No lock is going to stop you. No bolt on the door is going to stop you. No law is going to keep you from it. If you covet it, you're going to get it. Now, now, I, I just find it interesting that in all of these cut and dried laws, have no other gods before him. Uh, remember the Sabbath day. Don't lie. You know, in, in all of these cut and dried commandments, that God wraps it up by addressing more than an action. He's addressing an attitude. Now, now, I'm telling you that this commandment was vitally important. Because this commandment addressed something the Jews have missed down through the ages. They understood keeping the letter of the law. But in commandment number 10, the Lord was addressing not just the letter of it, but the spirit of it. And the Jews never did get that. They learned how to take the letter of the law. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? They said, all right, if we're going to do that, you can only walk so many paces. You can't do this. can't do that. You can't go here. You can't go there. That's what it means to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We're going to keep the letter of the law. But if we can find a way around it. That's right. You remember how they criticized Jesus for plucking corn on the Sabbath day? Now, had he profaned the Sabbath day? Had he done anything to make it unholy by what he was doing? No. He had just violated their traditions. But you know what he said to them? He said, you know, it's amazing. In fact, no, it wasn't when he plucked corn. It's when he healed a man on the Sabbath day that they really started getting mad. Now, they got mad about the plucking corn. But they really got mad when he healed a man on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, hang on just a minute, guys. Which one of you that has an ox... That falls into a ditch on the Sabbath day. Don't decide it's okay to help the ox. Well, I know it's the Sabbath, but I can't leave my ox in there for 24 hours. I gotta get him out. I need him to keep the farm up. So God's gonna excuse me helping this ox. That's what Jesus said. You see, the problem with the Jews, they never quite got the spirit of it all. And yet God addressed it way back at Mount Sinai. 
He said, listen up. If you won't covet, you won't steal. If you won't covet, you won't commit adultery. Jesus addressed it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Can I tell you this is really not a new commandment? Can I tell you that really what Jesus is doing here, he's elaborating on the tenth commandment? That's all he's doing. He said, yeah, you're so worried about committing adultery, but let me just remind you, there's another commandment that comes just a couple verses later. Don't covet. The word covet means to lust. Don't covet. That's where it starts. That's how it all begins. Now, I know we live in a perverted world, and I certainly don't want to in any way say anything uh, off color. Or, or, and, and, but but it, it's a twisted world. I know things are different. But really, by and large, people don't just go commit adultery on the spur of the moment. But something has started happening in the heart that leads them to that point. And it begins with covetousness. With a strong desire to pursue. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And so, you know, the, the, the commandments. And, and let me just tell you, again, it's sad that I even have to address this. But, you know, there are so many today that call themselves Christians that say if it's in the Old Testament, we're not bound by it. We don't have to keep the Old Testament. That's, that's all law. We're not under law. You know, there are parts of the Old Testament that were and, and I don't want to I don't want to teach on this tonight, but parts of the Old Testament that were civil law for the nation of Israel. We don't keep those. There were parts of the Old Testament that were ceremonial law for the religion of Judaism. We don't keep those. But there are other things in the Old Testament that are a part of God's morality, such as the Ten Commandments. And I'm telling you, the New Testament church is just as bound by the Ten Commandments as anybody has ever been. It's still a sin to steal. It's still a sin to kill. It's still a sin to commit adultery. It's still a sin to commit, to to tell a lie. It is still a sin to covet. Jesus warned about it. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. All right, so so I'm just telling you, the, the, the law, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments were not done away with at Calvary. It was a part of God's morality that existed before Sinai. It was wrong to kill before the tables of stone were ever carved. Look at Cain and Abel. It was a part of God's morality. Hallelujah. And so that law is still in effect today. Whether we like it or not, it's still in place. And yet we get over to the New Testament. And read again what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. But covet earnestly. But covet, everyone say covet. Covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet 
Show I unto you a more excellent way. And chapter 14, verse 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak covet, with tongues. Covet to prophesy. Now, now, please don't think for a minute that Paul did not believe in the Tenth Commandment. Paul did believe in the Tenth Commandment. In fact, Paul quoted the Tenth Commandment to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 13, verse 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now listen, he's not, he's not writing to Old Testament Jews. He's writing to the New Testament church. And to the New Testament church he says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not thou steal. Shalt not steal. Thou, shalt not thou, shalt not thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not isn't that interesting? Paul quotes this commandment. Paul lets us know it's still in force in the New Testament church. And yet he turns right around and twice tells the church at Corinth, I want you to covet. And so how do we reconcile this seeming discrepancy? Well, I want to tell you really, the answer is quite simple. Because the Old Testament prohibition... If you notice what it was that was listed in that verse of Scripture, don't covet your neighbor's house or wife or servants or animals or things. Well, that's what he said. Nor anything... That is thy neighbor's. The prohibition was against coveting the earthly things, the property, the possessions, the personal relationships that belong to another. But the New Testament injunction requires us to covet spiritual things, the gifts and the glory the grace of God. Don't covet earthly things, but covet spiritual things. Get your heart off of what people own. Get your heart off of possessions and fame and fortune and cars and clothes. Quit coveting things and start coveting that which is spiritual. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I submit to you the Apostle Paul was just as strongly against carnal covetousness as was Moses. But I'm telling you, he was very much in favor of having a strong desire, amen, for spiritual things. He said, I don't want you just to think about it. I don't want you just to talk about it. I want it to be a covetousness. I want you to covet spiritual things. Isn't this really what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33? Read. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Eat or drink. Or where are thou? Shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles speak. That's what the rest of the world is coveting. Read. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. you need those things. But seek ye first. But I'm telling you to, to seek The word seek literally means to seek after, to seek for, to aim at, to inquire, to desire, 
to endeavor to require. Yes, sir. Jesus said, quit worrying about the things that are going to pass away and start coveting. Start seeking after. Start requiring in your life the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And God will take care of everything else. Come on, Pastor. Preach it. Preach it. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Let me hear it tonight, Lord. Now, hear me, church. What Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, I don't have it on the list to do this, but Brother Jared, put it back up there. 1 Corinthians twelve thirty one. Put it back up there on the wall. I want you to see what we have here is a New Testament commandment. He doesn't say, I'm suggesting. He simply commands us, covet earnestly the best gifts. Covet it. Covet it. Covet it. I'm telling you, Paul is commanding the church. He's commanding us to covet the things that are going to edify the kingdom of God. And so I want to preach to you for just a couple of minutes, if you'll stay with me just a few more minutes, about some things that we need to be coveting. Well, hallelujah. I hope you understand we're not supposed to covet people's wives and houses and possessions. I hope you understand. I hope I don't have to spend a night preaching that. But I, I don't think all of us understand. We are supposed to be coveting some spiritual things. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. There's one thing that I have what? That I have what? This is a strong desire. There's one thing that I really want from God. Yes, sir. What is it? That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. There's one thing. If I can put it this way, there's one thing I'm coveting. I desire it and I'm going to seek after it. That's coveting. There's one thing I covet, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days, all of, the my days of my life to behold, to behold the, beauty, the, of the beauty of the Lord and, inquire and to in inquire his in His temple. I'm telling you, He said, I covet dwelling in God's house. I covet being in God's presence. I've got a strong desire. I'm tired of having my own surroundings. I'm tired of having to fight the devil. I want to get into God's house. It's not just a habit. It's not just an obligation. It's not just a duty. I covet it. I can't wait. I've got a desire. I want to pursue it. Now, I don't want to be guilty of twisting the scripture. But I've got a hard time believing that what he really meant was simply my desire is to dwell in or to live in the temple all the days of my life. That I want to go live in the temple all the days of my life. In fact, 
if that's what he's saying, then why is he saying he wants to later inquire in his temple? So what is he talking about when he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord? Well, you know, there is a house God dwells in. And the psalmist wrote about it just a few chapters before. In Psalm 22, verse 3, he said this. But thou art holy. But thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises that, of Israel. O thou that, that inhabitest. That is to dwell in. That is to live in. He said, I know where God's house is. It's in my praise. You know where I want to live? I want to live in a house of praise all the days of my life. I'm not going to come to church and sit here like a dime store in there. I've come to dwell in praise. I covet that. I desire that. I want that. No, no, no. Some of you aren't getting it. Some of you are, but some of you aren't. I'm this is the way it ought to work. Just like that carnal man looks over at the rich man and says, Man, I wish I had his house. Man, I wish I had his car. I wish I had his clothes. You know what you do, Brother Chad? I like what you're doing tonight. I wish I had his worship. I saw you make a few laughs, Brother Jerry. I wish I had your shout. I wish I had that. I want it, God. I want what they're doing. I want to worship like they're worshiping. I want to get lost in the Holy Ghost like they're getting lost in the Holy Ghost. I remember I remember in my first pastorate one Sunday morning conclusion of the service getting ready to dismiss and I told them I had, I had talked to them that morning about a little lad with a sack lunch and how there was a whole crowd of people 5,000 men the Bible says not even counting women and children. We often sing about him feeding the 5,000, but he, it was a lot more than 5,000. It was 5,000 just men. If every man had a wife and one child, that makes it 15,000. And there weren't very many families back then that only had one child. You understand me? There was a crowd. 15, 20, 25,000. I don't know the size of the crowd that day. But what I do know is when they got to looking around, there was only one little boy there that had come to that meeting expecting to eat. Come on now. That's true. 20,000, 20, I don't know how many, but nobody else had a lunch. But one boy said, I'm planning on doing some eating when I get there. And he went to that service expecting something. He brought an expectation to the church service that day. Oh, 
So I preached that that morning. And when I got through, I said, you know what? When we come back to church tonight, I want you to bring your expectation. Whatever it is that you've been wanting God to do, I want you just to bring your little sack lunch and watch God fill it. Well, thank God for new converts. I had a new convert there that morning. Hadn't been in the church very long at all. In fact, I'll never forget Sister Chris. It was a deal. First time she showed up for church, I literally thought, man, this is going to be a hard nut to crack. I mean, she stared me down that service. There wasn't any moving. But God did finally get a hold of her heart. And she prayed through to the Holy Ghost. It was a wonderful thing. And, and, and thank God for the, for the faith, the simple faith of a new convert. She walked into service that night with a little brown bag. She later told me what it was. And she showed me it was written on the bag what she wanted. She told me, she said, Pastor, I've been coming to these services watching everybody else really get uh, free and, and worship and dance and shout. And she said, I've just been sitting here service after service. She said, look at my bag. It says chock full of cut loose. I brought my expectation with me. I'm telling you, honey, when the Holy Ghost started moving, Sister Chris wasn't sitting on the pew anymore. She began to, you know what she did? She said, I'm coming. I want some of that worship. I want some of that. I gotta have some of that. Some of you need to start coveting good old-fashioned apostolic worship. You need to get a desire down on the inside. I want to shout like they shout. I want to run like they run. I want to dance like they dance. You know, I'm trying to move on here, but the Lord keeps bringing these things to my mind. Before, before I ever took that church, after I'd graduated from college, I was helping in a very Spiritual church, a good church, Brother Wayne McLean, great man. And, and it was a powerful church. We had some awesome moves of the Holy Ghost in that church. I'll never forget one of the ladies in the church telling me one time. Because, I, you know, a lot of folks would really worship, really get, get with it. But she never did. And I remember her telling me, and she was a good lady, as far as good ladies go. But she told me one time, she said, well... I just get my blessing watching everyone else. You know, if you're content with that, shame on you. You're not really getting a blessing. You might be getting some enjoyment. You might be feeling a little happy, but you're not getting a blessing. And God doesn't want you just feeling happy or having a little enjoyment. God wants you to covet what's going on. 
that's watching somebody, I'm going to do everything my body will let me do. I'm going to shout. I'm going to dance. I'm going to jump. I'm going to do whatever. I covet that. I desire that. I want that. And there was another time. Let me see. Let me see. There's another time that we find David coveting the right thing. The right thing. Now, we're not going to talk about it when he was coveting Bathsheba. It's another story for another day. And that was wrong. We all know it was wrong. David was judged for it and paid a high price, a high, high price for what he did. That's, that's another story. But I do find another time that I see David coveting the right thing. And, and to me, this is such a beautiful story. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. All right, now, now, now hang on. You, you know the story. The ark had been carried away while Saul was king. The Philistines had had it. And, of course, God started judging them. And they'd sent it back. David wanted to bring it back, put it on a cart. User was killed. They just parked it at the house of Obed-Edom. Left the ark there. And something started happening. And the Bible says, And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. Yes, sir. I, I, I just have to kind of read between the lines. You know, he'd been having a pretty poor year up to that point. I mean, you know, it was kind of a drought. and His crops just weren't producing. And his animals weren't producing. His kids weren't producing. <laughs> Money's wearing a little thin. Patience is wearing a little thin. One day, they parked the ark in his house. And all of a sudden, he walks out to the garden. He says, man, I never had a crop like this. He walks out in the field and every cow he's got is calving. And he looks around. And those old kids that have been sleeping in till noon. Man, they're out there plowing. Come on now. And he opens the checkbook. And it's not red ink. What's going on? I know what it is. The ark's in my house. God's turning things around for Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's having a revival. Things are really picking up in my place. Things are getting pretty good in my place. We're not wearing hand-me-downs anymore. 
traded in those old holy sandals for some Johnston and Murphys. Something's going on around here. I'm telling you, there's blessing. There's revival in my house. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Obed Edom couldn't keep it to himself. He, 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 you say, how do you know that? Well, let's keep reading. I'll tell you how I know it. And it was told King David. And it was told King David. Saying the now, Lord. hang on just a minute. I'm telling you, the word began to spread. Something's happening over there. Some, something's going on over there. That man's, give, that man's having revival. That man sent the glory of God upon everything he touches. And the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertains unto him because of the ark of God. So what happened? So David went, so David went and brought up the ark of God. He said, I want some of that. <laughs> From the house of Obed-Edom? I, I, listen, I've been fighting enough battles. I've had enough devils uh, nipping at my heels. I've been going through enough trouble. I'm ready for some of that victory. I'm ready for some of that glory. I'm ready for some of that power. I want some of that. And David coveted the glory of God. You got it right now, Obed-Edom, but I want it too. Now, just in case you don't think that this impressed God, let's just keep reading. The next verse, verse 13 says... And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, went six paces. He sacrificed oxen he sacrificed and fatlings, oxen and fatlings. And David danced before ah! the Lord. It's here. <laughs> it came. I got it too. This is what I've been desiring. This is what I've been pursuing after, and it's here. for us to do. Every report you hear of somebody else having revival, come tell me about it. If you hear of some good apostolic one God tongue talking church that's experiencing the glory of God, I want to hear about it. I've heard enough sad stories. I've cried enough tears. I've felt enough depression. I want to know about somebody that's having revival because if they can have it, I'm going to start coveting what they got. I want it too, God. I want it right here, God. I want the glory here. I want the power here. Jesus. 
Oh, I feel it, church. I'm telling you, God's calling new life in 2010. Let's get beyond coveting the things of this world. Let's get beyond desiring better jobs and better homes and better cars. Let's forget all of that nonsense and say, God, I want a better church. I want better services. I want more glory. I want more power. I want the the Almighty God to walk in our midst. All right, all right. One more. Glory to your name, Jesus. According to Mark chapter 6, there was a point in Jesus' ministry when a number of people in Israel began to covet something from the Lord. And I want to show it to you, but in order for you to really understand what's going on, we've got to back up to chapter 5. One chapter before where I really want to focus and remind you of a very familiar story. And then I want to prove my point. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. We know the story, but let's hear it again. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came Jesus? in the press behind and came touched his garment. Touched? Everyone say touched his garment. All right, read. For she said, if because I may touch. She said. But it's she clothes. said. Nobody had told her this. She hadn't heard any sermons on it. She just decided. Uh-huh. I'm not worthy. I'm a nobody. In fact, I'm unclean. The Old Testament law said she was unclean. Right. And everybody she touched and everybody that touched her became unclean. Except Jesus. Well, I don't have time to preach the message, but if you want to go back, I don't even know when it was. Sometime back I preached a message about the incorruptible God. The Bible calls him the incorruptible God. And I talked about the fact that the law said there are some things that if you touch it, you become unclean, such as lepers, dead bodies, and those who were bleeding. You touch them, you become unclean. And yet Jesus touched all three of those and never became unclean. And you know what? Here's what's amazing. If any of the Pharisees had come to him and said, you're guilty of touching a leper, all he had to do was show him to me. Go find the leper that I touched. Come on now. Oh, you touched a dead body. Really? Find the corpse. Because when Jesus touched them, they weren't unclean anymore. He's the only one that can touch the unclean and make it clean. Come on. She said, she said, if I can just touch his clothes, I'm going to be made whole. Read. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. The fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. All right, now, she just decided 
She just made up in her mind. I'm going to fight my way through that crowd. I don't care who becomes unclean as a result. You talk about coveting. I don't care about the rules. I don't care about the regulations. I want something from God and I'm going to get it. And she pressed her way through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment and she was made whole. Everybody agrees with that? That's Mark chapter 5. We turn to chapter 6 and start reading in verse 53. Listen. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. Uh huh. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him. The, the crowd knew who he was. And ran through that whole and region roundabout. Ran through that whole region roundabout. And began to carry began about, to carry in, about beds, in beds. Those that were those sick. Those that were sick. Where they heard, where he, they was. heard he was. And whithersoever he and entered. wherever he entered. Into villages. Into villages. Or cities. Or, cities, or, country, or country. They laid the, they sick, laid the, in the sick, in, sick in the streets. And besought him. And besought him. That they might that touch they it. Might touch if, if it were, were but the border, the border of of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. And everybody that touched him got the same thing that little woman got in chapter 5. You know what was happening? They said, you got your healing. Thank God you got yours, but I want it. I want it too. If you can be healed that way, I can be healed that way. If he's going to do it for you, he can do it for me. Nobody said there's a scripture that says touch his garment. Nobody got up and said this is the way to be healed. But somebody became covetous. If that little lady can get her healing by touching his clothes, I can get mine the same way. I pray. I pray that in 2010, some of you get beyond this attitude that I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve. Well, if God wants to do it, He'll do it. Well, I just guess it just wasn't for me. It must be God's will for me to remain sick. I wish you'd get beyond all that and start coveting your healing and say, God, I'm going to pursue it. I've got a desire for it. I hunger after it. I'm going to inquire of it. I'm going to require it. I want some of those miracles this reading come. I want some of those miracles. Hallelujah. Let's stand tonight. I'm telling you, church, I don't ever want us to fall into the trap of coveting the temporal things, the property, the possessions. The personal relationships that belong to others. But neither do I want us to fall into the trap of being comfortable with where we are spiritually. Of just taking it as it is. If we have good church, fine. If we don't, oh well, there's another service. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. I'm going to covet spiritual things. I've got a desire that's going to drive me to find a way to bring the glory of God back into this house. I'm going to find a way to get my miracle. I'm going to find a way 
to bring the blessings of God upon my house, upon my family. I'm going to find a way. I covet that. Oh, hallelujah. Is there anybody in this house that's tired of the attitude of just laissez-faire? I'm just going to take it as it is. I'm just going to keep going through the same old Monday. No, no, no. Is there anybody in this house that says, God, I'm going to start coveting spiritual things? The gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. Paul commanded us to covet those gifts. I'm not praying use somebody else. I'm praying use me. I'm not praying bless. I'm, I'm saying tonight, I'm coveting the glory and the blessings and the miracles and the healing and the gifts of God. Send it on down, Lord. Send it on down, Lord. Send it on down, Lord. We're coveting your glory tonight. We're coveting your power tonight. We're coveting your presence tonight. Send it down, Jesus. Send it down, Jesus. That's it. Come on, let's cry out to him. Come on, let's cry out to him.
Come on, I want it, Lord. I want it, Lord. Right here, Jesus. Right here, Jesus. I want your glory. I want your power. I want healing. I want victory. I want to be used. I want your favor. Right here. Right here. Right here, Lord. If you're going to give it to someone else, I want it too. singers come help me I need some singers up here to help me Holy Ghost. 
This year, this year, I'm going to pursue spiritual things like I have never pursued them before. I'm going to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to pursue worship. I'm going to pursue revival. I'm going to pursue the miraculous. I'm going to covet the spiritual things. Empty my heart of covetousness toward the earthly things. Anybody feel that way tonight? Anybody really feel that way tonight? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. God bless you tonight. Any special announcements? Anybody? Sunday school meeting. Brother Merriman needs to meet with Sunday school staff. Please remember that. Amen. Let's be faithful Tuesday night, Thursday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Amen. All right. Um, Young people need to meet with Brother Brandon. So, do you have some of the young people in Sunday school? Do we have? Okay. Um. So if we can kind of work that together somehow and let him finish up with his meeting, I guess. And Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So meet with Brother Merriman. And when he gets through, young people meet with Brother Brandon. And uh, 
We appreciate it very much. God bless you. Thank you for your worship. Been a wonderful, wonderful day today. The presence of the Lord has been just marvelous in this house. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Thank God. Thank God. Your worship, your response. Thank you so much, church. Thank you so, so much. Amen. God bless you. Greet one another in the fear of God. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.